Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to Basidia, while he dismissed the crowd. After saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. When he saw that they were straining at the oars against the adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. He intended to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. When he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Jacinarot and moored the boat. Oh, man, it is really good to be here with you. I am very, very grateful. Um, I, a couple times ago, I spoke on Mother's Day, and last time I spoke on Father's Day. This is May Day. Um, there's nothing in this message about May Day, but it is good to be here. Um, as Adam said, at the last few days, I've been with the staff, and um, I, it's just a reminder to me um, of, of, of how good it is to be with you at Narrate. Um, how grateful I am for your ministry, who you are here in the city of Helena, for Adam and the, and, and the staff, their goodness and how they lead you, the skills and the gifts they have. Um, I'm just really, really honored Honored to be with you again. So, this morning, I want to talk with you about crossing over. Crossing over. We've just heard the text about um, Jesus walking on the water, the boat out in the middle of the sea. And we're going to come to that text, but I've got a little ways to go to get there. So, hang in there with me. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Both Paul and Jesus himself put a high value on oneness. At the end of the service today, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion together. And there's probably no act that happens in the worldwide church of God that symbolizes our oneness more than the celebration of Holy Communion. That oneness that we have in Christ is being threatened both inside and outside the church. It's a strange boat we find ourselves in these days. So let me put up a few images just to illustrate the differences that are in society that have impacted us in the church. Hang in there, I know you're nervous. Hang in there. Here's another one. And another. And let's add the debate around climate change. Now rest assured, this is not a political message. I have no intention of leaving Helena as a controversialist. More and more, I'm finding myself drawn to and challenged by these words by the Franciscan Father Richard Rohr. Mature Christians have great tolerance and even appreciation for differences. 
when we are secure and confident in our oneness, in our oneness, knowing that all are created in the image of God and are equally beloved, differences no longer threaten us. Differences no longer threaten us. So why do we feel threatened by differences? Why do the images that I just put up, why do they stir up uneasiness and even fear and anxiety? So I belong to two book groups. I belong to a Lutheran book group and a Quaker book group. I don't know how that happened, but I do. And one of, the, one of the good things about belonging to book groups is that you get to read things that you wouldn't normally read. Um, now, two book groups is a little overwhelming, especially with the reading that I'm doing for school and stuff like that. So when it's my turn to pick for the book groups, I just pick the same book for both groups. So I don't have to read. But one of the books we read was Together by uh, a best-selling uh, former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy together. And Murthy talks about something called, hang in there, motive attribution asymmetry. This is just to let you know that I'm smart. Um, (laughs) I have no idea what those words mean. I have no idea. But look at the description. Isn't this fascinating? Motion attribution asymmetry. It assures us that our convictions are rooted in love but our opponents are grounded in hatred. Both sides are afflicted with this same myopia. myopia. Israelis, Palestinians, Democrats, Republicans, Grizzlies, and Bobcats. My awareness of my local setting. I come from its ducks and beavers. This asymmetry keeps us from even seeing the things that we have in common and we attribute hatred to the other and love to us. So here's how Pastor Jackie Lewis puts it, why and why we have differences and and it feels like they threaten us. The stories that we gravitate to are the ones that feel true. They feel like they have continuity with our past and that resonate with the trajectory of our lives. So we're looking for the story that doesn't necessarily change our minds. We're actually looking for the story that confirms what's in our minds. Sometimes it's hard to imagine we have anything in common with the people that we disagree with. At the grave of a child from the Ravenbrook concentration camp during World War II, at the grave of that child, this prayer was found. Listen to these remarkable words. O Lord, remember not only men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember, do not remember, Lord, all the suffering they inflicted on us. Remember the fruits we have borne thanks to this suffering. Our comradeship, our humility, our courage, our generosity, the greatness of heart 
which has grown out of this. And then look at this. And when they come to judgment, let all the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. May all the fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And don't you just, doesn't that just describe how you want to be? And don't you want to be that way because you know that that's who Jesus is? And of course, Jesus modeled this kind of understanding from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, all of this is simply to introduce our subject this morning. So I want to take a moment to reflect before moving ahead. Pondering. What is one thing you once held strongly to be true, but no longer do? Now think about it. What is one thing that you once held strongly to be true, but no longer do? What led to your change? Um, I've taught Christian history for 27 years at the seminary. I can look back at my notes from 27 years ago, and there are things from those notes that I still teach today. But I can also look back over the last even five years to see that some of what I've taught in the past has changed. I've done more reading. I've encountered other opinions. I've engaged different ways of thinking which isn't actually good for Adam since he took church history about 12 years ago. So, you know, I have no idea what he's actually, what he's got is what I still teach. Um, One never knows. So let's dig into the heart of what I want to share with you this morning. And we want to root what we're going to be talking about. We We want to root the action that I'm going to call us to. We want to root it, root it in Jesus himself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, action in accord with Christ does not originate in some ethical principle, but in the very person of Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to give you either a progressive or a conservative ethic. What I want us to do is look at the person of Jesus himself. How did he act? How did he live? Now we're gonna look at that specific text that was read just a little bit, but I wanna set the context for that crossing of the sea. I wanna set the context for that. There's something in Mark's gospel called the double miracle cycle. Don't, don't worry about it, I'm just trying to set a context. It's over, it's over a number of chapters, so you can see some of the chapters. There's, there's something in Mark's gospel, it's called the double miracle cycle. It sounds impressive, but let me explain. So in this double miracle cycle, there are two double healings. In Mark chapter five, there's two healings. There's a woman who has a flow of blood and she reaches out and she touches Jesus' garment. And then right away, there's a little girl who has died and Jesus brings her back to life. And then a few chapters later, there's another double healing. There's a Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus and begs him on behalf of her daughter, and Jesus heals her. And then there's a man 
who is deaf, whose healing is restored to him. And there's also two miraculous feedings in the wilderness. There is a feeding of the 5,000 and a feeding of the 4,000, two of them. And what's interesting to note about these two feedings is is how they end. So in Mark chapter, what is it, 6, it ends, and they they were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the pieces and of the fish, of the, five, of, of the 12 uh, uh, loaves of bread and the two fish. Five loaves of bread, thank you. Five loaves, two fish, 12 baskets. And then the second one, the feeding of the 4,000, they took up seven baskets. But there's something I want you to look in this. I don't, yeah, it's on the screen. The word for basket I know this sounds really technical. Just hang in there. There's a purpose to all of this. The word for basket is different. So in the feeding of the 5,000, there's one word for basket. In the feeding of the 4,000, there's another word for basket. The word for basket in the feeding of the 5,000 is the Jewish word for basket. The word for basket in the feeding of the 4,000 is the Gentile word for basket. So here's the context of what we're looking at. There are, two, there are two healings and a wilderness feeding in Jewish territory. And there's two healings and a wilderness feeding in Gentile territory. And there's one thing we know. Jews did not hang out with Gentiles. Gentiles did not hang out with Jews. They hated each other. And right smack in the middle of this double miracle cycle, right smack in the middle, is the text that was just read for us. The crossing of the sea. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. To Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd, after saying farewell to them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. So let's take a closer look at this. These disciples are being put into a boat to go across. Some of them are fishermen. They know that what can happen on the sea. They know that the winds can come down at a moment's notice and and cause a tremendous storm. But there's something else that's going on here. They're being put in a boat and they're crossing over from Jewish territory into Gentile territory. They're crossing over from Jewish territory into Gentile territory. And lastly, they're being put on the boat and Jesus is letting them cross on their own. He's not going with them. And so the disciples set out and of course they have fear and they have trepidation trepidation, and then the storm does arise. And they are frightened. And Jesus comes to them walking on the sea. And he gets into the boat with them. And the things quiet down. And when we hear this text, all we want to focus on is what is this guy doing walking on the water? But there's so much more else going on in this text. These disciples are scared. They're scared of the water. They're scared of being alone. And they're scared of the fact that they're going over to their enemy's territory. 
with Jesus on board, they crossed over safely from Jewish to Gentile territory. They came to land at Gennesaret and moored the boat. Jesus modeled for his disciples and for us today his willingness to cross over to those who were considered enemies. When we talk of crossing over to those we disagree with, it fills us with fear and even anxiety. We feel threatened. But in the midst of crossing over, Jesus comes to us walking on the water and he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And so there's two things I I want us to take away. I want us to take away from, from Jesus for our lives as we think about crossing over. The first thing is that Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. The first thing Jesus did before crossing over was to go into the desert mountains to pray. Um, at, the, at the conference that we were attending, uh, uh, live streaming, um, they, they interviewed Malcolm Gladwell, writer, uh, podcaster guy. And they asked him, you know, in the chaos of our world, in the divisiveness of our world, what, recommend it, what, what recommendation would you have for followers of Christ, for followers of Jesus? And Malcolm Gladwell had one word, Reflection. Reflection. Prayer, reflection, taking a moment to center ourselves. Breathing deeply. Doing that interior work. Doing that interior work. Former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams said, To learn contemplative practice is to learn what we need so as to live truthfully and honestly and lovingly. It is a deeply revolutionary matter. To pray, to reflect, to take take the AirPods out of our ears, to turn the volume off on our radios, to breathe, to let silence in, It's a deeply revolutionary matter. Before every major event in his life, Jesus went away to pray. To do that interior work, to prepare him for that hard call, that vocation that his father had given to him. Henry Nouwen writes, the farther the outward journey takes you, the deeper the inward journey must be. And Martin Luther King Jr. emphasizes the same thing. When we foolishly minimize the internal of our lives and maximize the external, we sign the warrant for our own day of doom. Without this spiritual and moral reawakening, we shall destroy ourselves in the misuse of our own instruments. Both the internal and the external are intertwined. They're vital. The second thing that I want to take away from this lesson this morning is that they acted. They crossed over. 
they crossed over together with Jesus. Dr. Christina Cleveland has written about the importance of crossing over. People can meet God within their cultural context, but in order to follow God, they must cross into other cultures because that's what Jesus did in the incarnation and on the cross and going from Jewish territory to Gentile territory and walking and, 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 and leading the the disciples across the stormy sea. Jesus modeled crossing over. Now, I have not read this book, um, um, but, but I love the subtitle. Of, I read a review of it in the New York Times. I have never thought of it that, I never thought of it that way, writes Monica Guzman, and here's the subtitle. How to have fearlessly curious conversations in dangerously divided times. I'm not asking you to change. I'm not asking you to change. I'm asking you to consider crossing over in curiosity, in fearless curiosity. And we can only be fearless because we know the same Jesus who said to the disciples, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. But we do not simply cross over to the other side alone and by ourselves. In their book, Resident Aliens, Hauerwas and Willemann write, Christianity is an invitation to be part of an alien people who make a difference because they see something that cannot otherwise be seen without Christ. Hear out, narrate, you are alien. You are aliens. You are part of a community. You are part of a body of Christ that looks to Jesus as the model of how to live. A few years ago, on late night, Stephen Colbert interviewed the writer Tanahishi Coates. Now, if you watch this, if you go look this up on YouTube, it's pretty, it's really interesting. This interview is not going very well. And, and you can tell that Colbert is getting more and more upset. And he finally says at the end to Coates, he says, do you have any hope tonight for the people out there about how we could be a better country, how we could have better race relations, and we could have better po- po- politics? And Ta-Nehisi Coates replied, No. But I'm not the person you should go to for that. You should go to your pastor. Your pastor provides you hope. Your friends provide you hope. We find hope through Christ and in community with others. We are an alien people We see things through Christ's eyes, and so we often see things differently. One of the reasons I love coming back to narrate is because together you gather and you scatter. You are together engaged in the community of Helena. Pastor 
Vaughn McLaughlin leads a church in Florida, and in an interview he said, if you're in the community, you ought to affect that community. I ask other pastors, if your church were to leave the community you're in, what impact would that have? Would they miss you? Would they weep? Because of who you are, narrate, because you are an alien people, because you engage the community of Helena, because you cross over, this community would weep if you left. They would weep. So as we close, I would like to leave you with two things to ponder. What might it look like to deepen your interior life even five minutes a day? Take out the earpods. Breathe deeply. Walk slowly. Slow down. Do the interior work. And in what specific way as an individual and as a community might you cross over and have a fearlessly curious conversation? Let's pray. Loving God, it is so wonderful to open your word and turn to your word and, and, and just to continue to reflect on this person of Jesus. And sometimes by your grace and by your Holy Spirit, we see things. And, uh, and today, I just am amazed at the willingness that your son Jesus had to cross over and to lead his followers in crossing over. to be with, to minister to, to love a group of people that his own people hated. So I pray for your Holy Spirit to indwell within us, to give us eyes to see Jesus. And as a community, as this community of Narrate, may they continue to gather and to scatter for your glory and for the sake of this city. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Narrate Church, find us online at narratechurch.org or look us up on Facebook or Instagram. 